Welcome to Founder Chats by Bear Metrics. We chat with founders and hear about how they started and grew their businesses. My name is Brian Sierkowski, the Director of Ops at Bear Metrics. This week, I talked with Mark Brown, founder of Deepo. We talked about a lot of really cool things. But one of the things I was really excited to talk to Mark about was his background as a musician. Because I have a background as a musician. We found along the way that that had a lot to do with his success as an entrepreneur. So, on to the episode. Mark, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. If you want to kick us off a little bit, why don't you just, the worst question of all time, but why don't you tell me, tell me a little bit about yourself. Uh, okay, like where do I start? Okay, I'll start with my accent. I'm Canadian, so you're down in Texas, but I live over in Sweden. So why don't I explain how a Canadian ended up in Sweden? <laughs> yeah, that sounds um, good. Grew up in Canada. Moved around a bit around Canada, started going to school on the East Coast in the mid-90s near, this would be near Boston in a small town called Halifax in Canada. And I was pretty into music. I was going to university there, but I hated university. So I'd go into this town, Halifax, and I'd start going to see bands and stuff. And this was around the time where Nirvana, the whole hair metal had just finished. Nirvana had wiped them out. Guitar music was really popular. And so there were a lot of bands from this area of Halifax getting signed to record labels. And I'm like, I can't continue to go to university. I hate it. I got to get out of here. So I called up or I, no, it was the start of news groups and stuff. That's what it was on that. Like, you know, before everybody had Sun Microsystem computers at the university. So you didn't really have most people weren't connected to the Internet. still. So I was in a couple news groups and somebody hooked me up with this person who worked at a small record label. And I dropped him a line and he said, oh, yeah, like you can come and volunteer here. So I left school to volunteer at an artist run record label in a small town called Halifax. And a lot of those bands got signed to the same labels that Nirvana were on and from Sub Pop in Seattle and Geffen in the U.S. Yeah. And then I did that for a couple of years. I went on tour with loads of bands all over North America. So I've been most places in North America, ran a festival in Halifax. But then the company I was working for, this small little indie label, ran out of money. And I had just been to Europe. So I'd just been to France and I had come to London for the first time. And I was probably still only 21, 22. And I thought, oh, well, why don't I just move to London? <laughs> Which I guess is the thing. So, you know, I moved to London, got a job working in a record warehouse. And, you know, going around the record warehouse, pulling records out. This is, I'm really dating myself because I am, I'm not really talking about anything digital yet. So this is when you actually went to a record store to bar, buy music. Then I, I, I succeeded in getting a job at this label called Creation Records, which there's a movie actually about the founder, Alan McGee, who's my boss. They had bands like Oasis, Super Furry Animals, Primal Scream, Teenage Fan Club. So one of the most important indie labels in UK history, really. And this is the end of the 90s. Then that shut down. And I went to work at the, the foundry at a new company. And I was, I was his PA. I was his personal assistant. And I was the, like the worst PA ever, really. So he said, why don't, you, why don't you do radio promotion? And people always say to me, what's radio promotion? But it's basically like if you have a press person who talks to magazines, and tries to get you in a magazine or in a, you know, in the New York Times or in TechCrunch or something like that. That's a PR person. But in music, you have those people that do online, 
they do radio and they do TV. So what I did was I went into radio stations in the UK and the UK, which is much different compared to North America, only has one time zone. So that means when people listen to the radio, even today, it has much more of an impact because everybody's listening at the same time. Whereas in the States, you know, somebody listens to the radio in LA, somebody listening to New York, it's completely different times of the day, really. And so UK radio still has a bit of an impact, but 10, 15 years ago, it really did. And what you do is you'd go in with a record, a CD, and you'd sit in a meeting and you put it on a CD player and you'd sit uncomfortably in front of the person. And it would be like, you know, hey, and then you'd listen to it and you said people would nod their head. And then you'd be like, what do you think? And then you'd have a chat about it or whatever. But then what started to happen when I did this job for a while was suddenly it was like people sending links around, you know, so you send it, all, you know, Dropbox, all that kind of stuff. And there were loads of different types. SoundCloud started this about 10 years ago. And the problem became that, oh, my God, there's so many of these links. And so that's one of the reasons I started this company, Bita. But first, I'll tell you how I ended up in Sweden. So I started this company in London while I was working as a radio plugger. And like we were talking just before we started our call, we started it as a distributed team. So, but that meant back then it was like, oh, I work from home. It didn't, you know, have any meeting distributed team or anything like that, really. And so we started in London. And then one of my co founders, she said, okay, I'm moving to Australia. And I'm like, this is it. The company's over. How on earth do you do this? But this was literally like six months before Slack started, right? So it's like, oh, okay, cool. You know, we'll give it a go. We'll try doing some stuff online. And it went fine. And so, I'm like, okay, well, if she's living there, Brexit had just happened in the UK. The UK left the EU. So I'm like, you know what? I'm done with London. And I moved here to Stockholm where I live now. So that's how you get a Canadian to live in Stockholm. And I've been here for about four or five years now. Wow. That's, that's incredible. That's, that's such, a, such a journey. I think one of the favorite things that you said was, you know, this was like, I'm from the, the music world too. I used to be a, in a touring band. Oh, like, right. Yeah, I cool. For, okay. <laughs> I worked for the, you know, the most influential, you know, one of the most influential labels of all time. Oh, and then they shut down. <laughs> it's like, that is just like such a perfect encapsulation of what the music world is like, of like the difference between commerce and how good something is, is, you know, there's usually a pretty, pretty wide gap there. There is. But in this case, this label creation, like they, they 49% of it was bought by Sony. And then, and then Sony bought the rest of it. So, and just for the catalog, which funny enough, this was, ooh, got a while ago now. But if you think about what's going on in the music world now, it's all about buying catalog. So Sony was thinking along the right lines back then, but they didn't need all the people working the records. They just wanted the catalog ultimately. Awesome. Well, cool. Well, I want to take it, take it back a little bit. I'd love to hear a little bit more about your your drive to, you know, from going to local shows to the, the transition into being the musician yourself. Like, what was that? What was that process like? What made you, were you, were you playing instruments already when you were? So I was, no, I was never a musician. What happened was I, like, I always just thought, like, I thought when I was saying, when I lived in Calgary, which is Western Canada, I, I moved there and there weren't that many gigs there. And I'm like, like, this is, you know, 
like, why the hell aren't there any gigs here? And I'm like, I'm so, the sort of person like, I'm always wondering why stuff is the way it is, right? And so I, I came to realize why that is. That's not on the touring circuit. Like, it's bands prefer to stay in the U.S. and skip all those. And it's changed over the time since I lived there. Or whatever you get, a lot more bands going to Calgary and Alberta and Western Canada. But like, I was seeing all these bands playing. I thought, like, I totally want to work at a record label. Like, I think that that's what I want to do. Like, I can't play any instruments. I don't really want to be on stage. Like, as you know, like being a musician, like certain people are good at that and other people are not. And I just thought, I don't want to go through that part of it, but I can, I definitely have something to offer from, you know, supporting people doing things. And that's so I, I started at this label. I didn't know what the, it's like a startup. Like you don't know the jobs that you need to do to work in music or whatever. And you sort of figure them out once you start. It's like, okay, like, I think my first job was booking a tour. Like I never booked a tour in my life. And this guy, he actually works with me now uh, in, on Bita. He, he's like, okay, we need to book this band a tour across Canada. I'm like, what do you do? He's like, well, you just call the clubs and ask for a gig. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> and it is like, if you distill things down to their essence, that is what it is. There's a, it's a lot more nuanced than that, but that is exactly what it is ultimately. So I learn a lot working at a record label and I just, I love doing it because at a small label, you work with the bands directly. It was an artist run label. So the band had experience of being musicians themselves and wanted to give the best to their, the best opportunities to the, to the local bands in that area at the time. And so it was, yeah, it was an amazing experience, but that's the thing. I never played music because I just thought it's not my thing for whatever reason. Sure. Yeah, I think that was a wise decision from someone who was like, had, had done it to like, you know, incredibly meager success. It's like, it's mostly boring, right? Like you see the artists like up on stage, you know about this with, you know, booking a tour and, and trying to figure out the logistics. And sometimes you have that one stretch of like, well, sorry, we have, you know, you have two gigs back to back, but they're like 12 hours apart from each other. So Gotta like, you know, oh, I play know. the show and then jump in the van and, and, you know, make sure you get to the next place on time. But then you get there and then you just kind of, you just kind of wait, <laughs> hang out. Yeah, uh, hurry, so. hurry up and wait, as they say, hurry up. And totally. Wait. But I think yeah. that, that's a very, that's a very important process to learn though. I think that there are very few gigs that are like New York or LA and that there's a lot of waiting and playing gigs to get, you know, you need a gig in the middle to get to the next gig. And I developed a huge respect for the commitment it takes to be an artist. And that could be any type of artist. It could be a musician or a visual artist, because I think they all, the, the, the process of doing it is a struggle. It's not easy. And I think that was one of the best things I ever did was go on tour, because you could really see just how challenging it is. You know, people talk about a lot about mental health for musicians these days, and they didn't talk about it back then, but it totally makes sense, you know. It's a weird life being in a little 15-passenger van driving around all the time. And I think that ad adulation at one show and then nothing at another, it's a weird weird world for sure, for sure. It was really cool that you you didn't just stay in the office. Like you actually went out there and experienced like, okay, well, what am I <laughs> what am I subjecting these people to? <laughs> like what am I what, what what are the ramifications of my my actions here, you know, in the in the local office? That is actually, that is very true because, so say, for example, when I moved to London, like you have people, like the level of the music business in the UK is, especially in London is very high. Like it, it, 
the UK is so important from that for all the genres of music. And there were a lot of people that hadn't experienced what it was to be a music. Like they just meet musicians when they get signed to Sony or whatever, or they're super popular. And it's like, that's not, <laughs> you, you know, yourself, like there's loads of people who make music because they want to, or they're trying to do it or it doesn't work or like, and to have that context to be thankful for what you can accomplish, but appreciate how difficult it is to even accomplish that are pretty, I think, positive lessons to learn ultimately. And they've certainly helped running a startup. That's for sure. <laughs> was the the record label in Calgary, was that your, your first entrepreneurial experience? Yeah. So the label, the label was in, it was in Halifax on the East coast. I worked for other people at the label, but I immediately started doing management. So that would be my own thing. Then I ran a festival there and that was my own thing that I ran with four other people. So those, those were the first real brushes with thinking like, Oh, normal people run companies. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's not just some person in a, faceless office so yeah th that was the real start because the idea of diy do it yourself like is very big in music like still is and this was certainly very big back then so that was definitely like oh like people just decide to do things and then make them happen shoot first ask questions later so that was definitely the start definitely the start and that just comes from the see a problem solve a problem mentality yeah like and if you think back, so mid nineties, no internet, somewhat difficult to get a record made, but you could get a record made even more difficult to get it into the shops. Right. <laughs> so I'm sure you still have a garage somewhere full of CDs. Like yeah. every, 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 every person who was in a band previously has some little overstock somewhere. And I think, so that's what it became. It's like, I can't get a record deal or I can't do this or I can't do that. Well, I'm going to do it myself. That's what DIY is about. And, you know, that's what the maker movement would be. Like, that's what building software is. It's like, oh, this doesn't exist. I'm going to make it exist. But you don't really, you don't think of it like that. You just think, oh, like, I think it would be cool to make a record. And then you make a record and you go, oh, how the hell am I going to get rid of all these? I better find a distributor to do that. You know, it's, it's just, you're pulling that little piece of string. And it gets longer and longer, and you're like, "Oh my god, what have I got myself into?" Yeah, yeah, for sure. It, it's it's a very interesting lesson for the people who are thinking about starting a business or maybe wondering where to get started. You can find a problem that you think is important to you and try to solve it. And it seems like that might be. I've spoken with a lot of people. It seems like that is where the vast majority of people got started. They, they found something that was of some import to them. And generally they're looking at like, what is the, you know, what do I want the world to look like? Maybe not, probably not in those terms. Like, I don't think we necessarily think about that early on, but you were like, wow, I really wish there were some shows around here. Like, well, what do, what do I need to do to have some shows around here? Like, well, you know, and I think there's maybe a little bit of mentality in there because you're, you know, seemed like the next step for you was like, well, better start a festival. That seems like the logical, the logical next step to have some shows around here. Yeah, no. And I, but, 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 but that is like, so what happens is I think you're totally right. People don't conceptualize these things. Like, you know, like in the startup world, you're like, you, you know, find a problem worth solving all that kind of stuff. Like you totally don't do that at the start. You're sort of like, why aren't there any gigs here? Why isn't this band coming to town? 
why, why, why? Like, and I realize in hindsight, I'm that kind of person. I just want to know why it is the way it is. And if it's no hope, whatever, but if someone just hasn't decided to do it or can't be bothered or any of those sort of reasons, I'm like, well, let's just do it. Why not? Let's see what happens. And that's how you, that's how the exciting stuff happens. I think, I think, but I, I also see like there are massive parallels between music and tech, but I think tech, tech and music people think they don't have anything in common. I completely disagree. So I think what you're saying is hundred percent correct that you, you look for those problems to solve without really knowing that there's a really eloquent, eloquent way to describe what you're doing. Yeah. And it's, it's such a, such a superpower to really have a fixation on just that next step ahead of you. Like it's almost like a universal sentiment that if you ask somebody, well, if you would have known how difficult it was to do what you were trying to do, would you have started in the first place? And it's kind of like, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. No, that's a big no. Yeah. But, but that's what makes it so important. I think is that if you did know you wouldn't do it because it's scary and like the, the running a startup or starting a business or doing anything where you don't know what's going to happen is a nightmare. Ultimately, let's be honest. Like it's an utter nightmare and you need the, you know, again, it's cliche, the naivety of it all. Like it's super, like that's what you need that. Otherwise, you, you know, everybody, we're all pretty smart and self-aware here. You know, most people are, it's like, who would want to get into this crap? Like who'd want to start it? Like you were saying about the record label thing, you know, the quality of the music doesn't, isn't directly correlated to the success of the label. It's like, if you look at that on paper, you're like, I'm not, I'm totally not starting a record label. So you have to have a, you have to have a motivation that's external to, uh, to, to the, to the, not to the dollars and cents, but to the chance of success, because you can't, if you thought about it, nothing would get done. Nothing would get done. Yeah, that's a great point. I'd love to, to dig into that a little bit because I feel like music is like the perfect incubator for you have to have that mentality of in the startup world, in the tech world, you can have a big idea and be mainly driven financially, right? Because it's there's so apparent to you that there's such possibility for financial success in the tech world that even when things get difficult or maybe you're you're not building the strongest company or whatever. Maybe you're not personally interested in it. There's always that, you know, in the back of your mind, you can always hear the voice of like, well, you know, maybe there's a, maybe there's a billion dollar exit around the corner somewhere, but music, you really, and don't let me project here. It, it feels to me like you can really develop that internal sense of there isn't that drum beat, no pun intended for, you know, there's going to be all this, all this cash right around the corner. You have to really be focused on, what is the quality of the thing that I'm doing and what is the you know scope of problem that I'm solving? Did, did you find that to be the case with your experience in the, in the music world? Did that, did that develop that muscle for you? Yeah. Like I think, you know, what's interesting and that's a good question. I've done quite a few podcasts and no one's really sort of asked me that before. And I think what's super important is, is you, you in the, in the music world, I think the key to success is that you have to believe in the music you're working with. You can't be, like you're saying, there's not necessarily, the financial reward isn't necessarily the same. So I always say, like, you're working in music, you got to be into it. Otherwise, you'd be working in a bank. Do you know what I mean? Like, just go work in a bank and make a couple, 
hundred grand a year, whatever, you, you know, and I think what's super important that, and again, no one's asked me this before is that in music, it is so hard to succeed, to get a record deal, to do all that. But up until I started a startup, I didn't even think there was never this talk of failure. I've worked with tons of successful bands and you never think about failed bands. You just think, I like that band. It doesn't matter if they were big or small. And 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 I think that was that was the the thing that it, that it, that has helped me so much is like like the music business. It, it's like Vietnam, like the the road is paved with dead bodies. You know what it's like. You're you're of being a musician, just trying to get it going. It's very 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 difficult. But I never. You don't work in an environment where where it's like oh, there's X percent of people raise a Series A. X percent, you, you know, it's more like some bands work out, some bands don't. But I never, ever back then thought, oh, I'm working with a band that's got a number one record or like how lucky, like the percentage of bands that hope to get here. Like I see, I see the world is a lot more dynamic because of that. So like, like in the startup world, there's billion dollar companies like, you know, I, I use Google products or whatever, but then I also use like pocket <laughs> and and pocket to me that you know got bought by mozilla or whatever like that that's one of the most important apps i've ever used in my life and that's that's like that's like a small band who i've loved for years that no one else knows about versus uh, the beatles i can't believe i've made a comparison between google and the beatles but you see what i'm getting at like you you know like and and i think that that appreciation for things as having individual value provided an extremely good foundation for working in a startup. The idea that, well, I'm doing this because I believe in it and we'll just see how it goes. Like, I don't want to sit here and think, what are the statistics? Because if you get bogged down in the statistics, you'd never get out of bed. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Absolutely. I, I think it's tremendous training in retrospect. You're, you're absolutely right. Is that, it's like your likelihood of failure in music is like, depending on how you define failure, but you know, it's like nearly a hundred percent. Like, it's just like, you know, it's just like Aerosmith that's still playing. It's like every other band that's ever started has either stopped or broken up or never even got there in the first place. So it is an environment in which you can, you learn to judge the merit of what you're doing and it's like, well, is this good or is it bad compared to like the tech world, which is kind of interesting by comparison. If you start there, there's almost this like hyper fascination on is this company going or are they stopping? And people have, you know, these kind of what I think are in kind of poor taste, but, you know, like startup graveyards or even after a business gets acquired, do they get, you know, does Google shut them down or who's raising money and who's going out of business and who's doing this and, you know, who's winning, you know, which is the people that are raising money and selling and who's losing, which I guess by that metric is like everybody else, even if they're running like a successful, you know, it's like uh, so funny to listen to people who are very into, you know, or against lifestyle businesses. And they'll look at somebody who's got like $500,000 in free cash flow, but they, they're not raising money and they're not, you know, growing by X percent. And they're like, man, 
what a loser. It's like, wait, they have $500,000 of just extra money laying around for very little work. And they, they're with their family and, you know, all those sorts of things. So it's just interesting to compare, you know, if you start in the tech world, that's kind of, that must have an effect on you versus starting in the music world. It's kind of like you almost get the opposite training. It's like you've got the, you have the weighted vest on. And when you go from music to tech, it's like, oh, wow, it's so much easier to succeed over here. Those things exist. Like those things exist where people like, you know, those dynamics exist in music. And I, and so, so in a lot of ways, like, like people who are like, oh, well, you know, you know, people who like, he's not really that popular. Like he's found like, or, or their music's not that good, or they found some shortcut they sold out they like, sold out yes. and, and and what you do is you realize you, you realize it's all just made up it's all made up like the, all that funding stuff is great chit chat you, you know and that's what happens record labels get bought they you, you know bands sign to bigger labels and then it tanks and that's like the acquisition like trying to continue running your business inside a larger company it's all the same stuff and so at least in music you, you know if you like music you're just there because it feels good to listen to music all the time. But when you, so when you get in a tech, I'm like, and, and you read the, 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 the bit, supposedly the big mis- misunderstandings, it's like chalk and cheese or whatever, like between the tech world and the music world. I'm like, that is crap. It's like, it is the same thing. Like VCs who dump on, on record labels. I'm like, you know, VCs give some very, very poor, terms on their money and then they're slamming the record labels i'm like this is brilliant it's like it's totally made up so i i i see i love the similarities and i love the comparisons i think it's but it gives you coming from music into tech and starting a music tech startup it just you start to realize oh my god i actually sort of know some of the some of the founding principles are the same in a way not completely the same but sort of the same like working in a company I think about this a lot. The way people work together has, it is like being in a band. Like you have to get along and you have to have, playing music together is one thing, but but playing together and really feeling it is completely different. That's next level. And that's what you need in a startup. You can't just have 10 people doing whatever. They need to be working together. That's the key to success. That's special sauce or whatever. And I think creating music and or art is different than, creating software, but there are similarities in the dynamics, I think, for sure. Totally. Yeah. And I've always kind of thought it's like, you know, I can like, I can jam with anybody. I can play music with, with anybody, but the real test is like, can I ride in the van with you? Like, that's actually the measure of like, it's almost like in tech, it's like, yeah, when things are booming and everything's going great and everybody's in there, the number of people that will work on your team are way, way higher. But you know, what about when it's time for the slog, you know, we had a trying not to talk too much and let you talk, but it reminds me of, you know, we were in, we had this kind of quick turnaround of shows and we were in something like, I think we were in like South Carolina. And for anybody who's not familiar with US geography, I'm like middle of the East Coast. And we had to, to get to Florida in the next night. It was like a 12 hour drive or something like that. Had to get to Southern Florida. And we started in South South Carolina and I went to, and then I, I, they drove through the night and eventually they probably got tired and they pulled over to sleep, which is a very good idea. And when we woke up, I was in I was in North Carolina. 
So we've, we actually had traveled the wrong direction overnight. Oh God, that's then, not good. <laughs> and so we went from, you know, we, you know, 8 p.m. We had 12 hours left to drive and I woke up at 8 a.m. whenever it was. And we had like 14 hours left to go. Oh, um, and the punchline is we got to the show and, and nobody showed up and, you know, like they, they canceled the show. So but it's like, that's like, that reminds me of like, that's like the startup team. Like I knew at that moment, I don't think I want to be on a team with these guys too much longer. But that's what it is running a startup. You've just got to try to make sure you, you don't screw up massively like that. And then even if, and then even if you do everything right, it still might not work. And I think like, so that is like, I think that's a very, 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 very good story. Like, but my, my big question, my first question was when you're telling it, it's like, why are you sleeping the whole time? Like you, you're not pulling your weight. Yeah, that's <laughs> but I didn't, fair. I never had a driver's license. So, it, it, you know, I never did any of the driving, so I can't really complain. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, the, the, the driving, taking turns with the driving. We actually, in the, one of the bands I was in, we had a guy who didn't have a driver's license either. And so that was always, you know, it's like, all right, well, let's, you know, what's our rotation? It's like, well, we're going to skip that guy because he's not, you know, it's like, what, what are you doing to make up for, you know, because it's, it's, you know, touring is like 95% driving. Um, but yeah, he was really good at guitar. So we had to, <laughs> we had to let us let slide. <laughs> That's another thing about a startup. Like not everybody needs to do, to be, you don't want. 10 of the same people. And in a band, you don't want 10. You, 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 like, well, there are, I know there was one band from Vancouver that had like seven guitars, but like, <laughs> you, you know, you need people that have different personalities and different, and that are good at different things. It, it's a bit of a joke, but it's true. And it works in startups as well. It's like, you want to have different people with different temperaments. And, and if you, and you need to be able to work together, even though you're different, but that's, what's exciting about it. I think. Personally. Absolutely. Yeah, totally agree. You've given the whole story and we've kind of gotten, you know, the, the deep dive up into, you know, on the, the, your, your East Coast music experience. What motivated the switch to, to move to Calgary? And then did you, did you join a label there or did you form a label there? What was that process like for you? So like, so what happened was, so what happened was I grew up in a town called Ottawa mm -hmm. and then I moved with my parents up to Calgary and then I moved to the East Coast. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. So then, and and then that's that, and that's where I sort of got into the whole music thing. And then I moved to to the UK. So, yeah, interesting. So, and then when you moved from when you moved to to the UK, how much of that was was informed by you wanting to be a part of that label, and how much of it was you just like, well, let's just let's just try let's try London now. Let's see how that works for me. Well, well, like I had been, I had just, but this is the thing, like this goes back to the being naive, right? So like, you're like, oh, like, why don't I just move? How hard can it be living in London? And, you know, I, I liked a lot of the music over there and I knew people at this label, but I, it's not like I thought I was going to get a job there. You know, it's hard moving to a bit. It's like moving, you know, moving to New York or something or LA, like when you don't really know anyone. And so I just thought that felt like the right thing to do. And ironically, I lived there for 18 years before I moved to Sweden. It, it was only after 10, 15 years that you start to realize, oh my God, the amount of people that moved here that didn't survive, that moved out. It, so again, you, you that idea of not knowing how bad it could go, 
is what saves you from from inaction as far as i'm concerned so i just thought i'm going to move to london because i didn't want to move to the states really and i thought okay i'm just going to go and i'll get a job and it'll work out and that's sort of the way i've always done things this seems like the right move without having too much detail don't do too much research or <laughs> you'll scare yourself off so i just started working in the did that record warehouse and seeing how it was going basically and then i and then i got this job at this label and then that was like oh my god like so it's just luck really but you have to put yourself in the environment you know i i wanted to i wanted to work i like to work i like the challenge of work but i i've been very lucky for sure i was just about to ask how much of that do you attribute to luck versus you really had like this um this positive visualization like it from my perspective and maybe you're you're telling the shortened version but it almost sounds like you're like well yeah you know i'll move out there and i'll get a job at this label and i will meet people and i'll be happy and and do what i want and then you proceeded to move out there and get a job at the label and be you know like you did everything that you said so was that do you think that was luck or do you think that that your mindset almost like you almost didn't allow for the negative you know you didn't realize that a bad outcome could happen. Do you think that helped? I, uh, let me, because I, I don't know. I'm talking about myself, so it's 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 hard, it's hard to say. But I'll tell you, I I did. We do. Beta has this other. So Beta is a tool for sending and receiving digital audio, and then we have how we listen, which is this whole education side for business. Because we realized that, like, loads of artists don't really know what to do. <laughs> they sort of make music and then put it on Spotify and then don't know what to do, right? And so we do these how we listen live events and I, we do them every month and I, I, I do a little uh, talk and then we have a, we have a guest on, we had this, you know, people from around the music business, we had this artist on and this artist was in an indie rock band for years. And I've known him for years. And I was asking him the same sort of question. Like, how do you, what do you attribute to like, and he's like, I, I dedicated everything to what I do. Like, and you could hear the tone in his voice change. And I think, like, I can visualize the future, like what I'd like to do or whatever, but it also, what's missing in, in what I'm saying is all the hard work. You know what I mean? But I you don't see it as hard work because it's just what you think you need to do. Does that make sense? Like, I can't give the, 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 the recipe or the equation as to why it worked out the way it ended up working out. But it was just like, I thought, like, this is what you're supposed to... I, you know, maybe what it is, is from a personally, I just thought this is what you're supposed to do. <laughs> like, maybe I, you, you, like, it, it's like, oh, like, isn't this what everybody does? And then it's only in hindsight that you realize it's like, no, it's not. <laughs> you know, maybe the, maybe that's a good way of looking at it. Like, I just assumed this is what you were supposed to do in life. And I realized later on that it's not what everybody else does. <laughs> yeah. And it's crazy that works, right? Like it's, it's almost you, the way that you frame something and the way that you think about it. Like I'm, I'm not the most, like I'm not great on mindfulness and you know, all the, uh, all the Tony Robbins stuff. Uh, although I do really uh, enjoy that stuff. It just sort of feels like, well, and we know, we don't know, right. We, we don't, we, we haven't run the opposite experiment where you move to London and you go like, wow, this is, it's a really big city and I don't know anybody here. And I, you know, I really hope that I don't fail. You know, does that version of Mark, leave London after, you know, two months being like, man, this sucks. Like, 
it just feels like your the mental framing that you went in with was perfect to succeed. So at least you didn't get in your own way. I mean, we can say that for sure. Uh, well, I'll, I'll actually I'll tell you what it is. Like I get in my own way all the time, but I've learned to, I've I've learned to 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 move forward while having lots of anxiety <laughs> about things not working out. That's the key. Like anxiety about things not working out can be paralyzing, but if you learn to be pushing forward while you're worrying, it's like that's my the ace in the hole for me. <laughs> I've How only do come. Do that? I have no idea. I've only come <laughs> to realize that that's what I do, because 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 worry can be paralyzing and fear can be paralyzing but to realize oh i'm scared shitless this is not going to work or i've got to do this presentation or this that or there's this problem while trying to figure out a solution to it like working in parallel it's a skill i didn't even know i like this is something i've just come to recently and, and it's only again when you meet other people and you think oh you know like you really struggle to push forward because it's you, you know you feel like everybody is uncertain about themselves, everybody, except maybe for Tony Robbins. Like, but being able to be uncertain while trying to solve whatever your worry is, is, a, is something I just didn't, I didn't know that I did it, but I seem to be able to do it well. It's really, really interesting. And not to, not to try to like overanalyze, but I wonder if that was another one of those skills that you developed early on in an environment where failure was almost kind of, the expected outcome. And you don't even think of it as failure. So you just kind of hit that. Because one of the things I've noticed is that as your as your business gets larger and as you're responsible for more, I think people have the thought that, you know, perhaps it'll get easier, you know, like, well, when I hit when I hit 10 customers or a hundred customers, or we hit, you know, a hundred thousand dollars a month or five hundred thousand dollars a month, things will get easier when I get there. And what you don't realize is that well, when you get to that point, there's a lot more on the line. You have more customers. You have larger customers to worry about. You have your own team. So it's, you know, you, there's almost this externality to it of like, well, if I really, if I really mess up, then I'm responsible for my coworkers, you know, my team, uh, you know, needing to find jobs and, and going hungry. So it really feels like that early experience that you got sort of going through failing, potentially, it sounds like you actually did pretty good, but, you know, being in that environment to try and try and try and push forward and keep making progress in kind of a safe environment, maybe that that taught you that skill so that now that when you're in a larger space, it's more consequential when failure happens, you've already got the muscle memory of like, well, I don't really know how to freeze. I don't really know how to hesitate. So I guess I'll just keep walking forward. Our startup is a bit different. Like, you know, so when I was living in, in London and like, I'm non-technical, right? So, you know, cause I worked in music. And so it was this idea that, okay, like everything's happening online now. People are sending audio files back and forth, but they're using all these tools that are not built for music. And the ones that were built for music were poorly built, insecure. And so I thought, oh, well, this is simple. We just need a plat one platform for sending and receiving digital audio in a clean, simple, and secure way. That sounds simple, right. doesn't it? <laughs> it's and that's super what Beat straightforward, right? It's super straightforward. So, mm -hmm. so that and that's what Beat is. So I'm like, oh, okay. Well, I, I'll just find some people, which I did, and then you cycle out the ones that you know can't do it, and you, you find a founding team. And this is I'm fast forwarding, but like. You, you know, I just thought, oh, okay, well, this is something 
that, that the market needs. But we did it as a side project for years. And we only got funding after like four and a half years. Like we bootstrapped it the whole way along. And it, it's like music tech streaming audio, very difficult, very labor intensive. Like it's not like, you know, if you build a marketplace, the basics you can get going quite easily, but then you need to get the the, the buyer and seller going to really, you know, like that's that's getting the business going. But with music tech, like the tech needs to work. And we're working with audio files and blah, blah, blah. So it's a nightmare. But I, but I think like I just didn't know. I could have given up so many times that I just thought like if we just hold on for a bit, something will come together. So in theory, we could have been failing for years without me knowing. I just thought, oh, yeah, like, again, it's back to being naive, I think. And then, and then you know, we pull in some funding. for the, and It's the first investment in the music sharing space in SoundCloud 10 years ago or whatever. And, and it's like... Then you start to realize, holy smoke, like, this is crazy that we even pulled that off. And I'm like, how, how? And then I look back and I think, how the hell did we do that? Like, we were essentially dead. We were dead. And then so it, it, it is the same thing again that you, it, it's a very weird, like, I just don't think when you're in it, you don't think that it's not going, it's going well or not going well. You're paranoid that it's not going well, but you're just trying to find the next solution to the problems you got in front of you really does that make sense totally it's the same it feels like the same pattern you know you, you it's like a like a mystery novel or something you gave us the answer like in the first five minutes and it's really just been it's so interesting you've just sort of like just applying to the thought of i mean i, I don't know at the risk of oversimplifying it's like one foot in front of the other like just but keep, that's what it is though. keep going like yeah. you gotta, you know, when I, when I started this, I'm like, I knew nothing. Like I tell, I, there, there was a friend of mine from university. He worked on when we got our funding a year ago, he worked for us for a year. And I remember asking him like something, cause he, 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 he's, he's an expert Java expert. And I was asking him about JavaScript. I didn't like, that's the classic. Like right. I didn't even know the difference right. between Java and JavaScript back then. Right. And it's like, you can't know any less than that, really. That is his right. ground zero of no knowledge of, of software development. And it's like you just learn it. Then that's the other thing. You learn on the fly. You know, you learn you learn on the fly. And I think, but I think that's what I like about startups. It's like you don't, it is choose your own adventure. You have no idea what's happening. You don't even know if it's going well. Like you could, you know, you've got metrics and stuff to tell that it, it, you're moving in the right direction. But things... You're, you're just getting sideswiped all the time. And it's the same in music. It's like that gig. The gig, Your gig example is a perfect example. It's like, okay, we went the wrong direction. Then we went the right direction. And when we got there, we figured out there was no wasn't gig. Even, yeah, wasn't even the right, you know, what we thought we wanted or where we thought we needed to go wasn't even the right spot. Yeah, it's and it's that sounds like an episode of whatever the, that startup program was on HBO. You know what I mean? Right. Like it's mm -hmm. that's exactly what happens. It's like massive screw up, get it done, and then realize it was a waste of time anyway. <laughs> right. That's the, running a startup in a nutshell. <laughs> so interesting. So when you when you started your business, was that were you still at a record label, or what was kind of the? I'm just trying to think of like what was that tipping point from, you know, your kind of firmly you know both feet in the music world and then you kind of like well it looks like did you even think was it a conscious thought of 
well, I think I'm going to need to get into some tech to actually solve this issue? Or how did you make that first step from music world into like, okay, cool. Now I'm, I, I need technology to solve this problem that's in front of me. So I, like, as I said, it was right at this period that, that like people were using links. Like, so we say there are three categories. So generic file services, Dropbox, all those we transfer, then artist streaming platform, SoundCloud, Bandcamp. And then you have this third category, which is your watermark promotion services, which is just like crappy late 1990s enterprise software. So everybody was using all these different platforms. And I'm like, okay, there's got to be a way to do this better. And so I was still working. I had a, I, I had my independent radio promotion company. And so I did, I did them both at the same time. And what's interesting here is, is that you think running a business is like this radio promotion company. There were like three of us. You think that's running a business, but you're just a consultant. You do a little work and somebody gives you some money, right? That's not, that's not running a startup or running a business business where you're investing loads of time and labor in something to sell something to someone else, but you could invest all the time and get nothing back. So when I was doing, when I started looking into building this startup, like the people, the founding team, I got it together. That's when it really started to change. I'm like, oh, this is not like doing my other business, which was this consultancy where you get paid every month, you know, unless they were shysters or whatever, you, you know, like, unless they were ripping you off, like, but that was the biggest risk that you'd you'd come to an agreement with someone and they wouldn't pay you. But then you start building this thing and, and you build in a little MVP and then you're like, okay, and then I'll pump, pump some more money to it and, and it gets going. And then you realize, oh, this is way more interesting. And then you realize when you talk to people that it's not easy to do and you realize, oh my God, like this is going to take ages. And then you're like, okay, well, if I make it through, that's why no one does it because it takes so much time. And so the transfer from me being working as a radio plugger, my boutique promo company to running a startup was a transition of like four years because we were just iterating the thing the whole way along, getting a few customers, getting it going, getting it going. And then even then it's like, oh my God, like we definitely need money. <laughs> and then you're like, where the hell are we going to find money? And then you start to look into that and then. But then also it's like, how do you market something? It's, it's a completely, you, I, 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 without noticing it, I'd entered into a completely different world that I knew nothing about. <laughs> right. Nothing. Whoops. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Whoops is right. Exactly. You're a hundred percent correct. How did you go about finding those technical team members? Cause you've, you've sort of confessed that you had very little technical skills. And I think this is a spot that a lot of people find themselves in where they, they understand the problem and they understand the domain, but they don't understand the tech side. And so they find themselves in the spot where you need to find and convince and you know pay if you can, but usually you can't. What, what was the process for you to get that initial kind of technical base into the, into the company? Like I just, uh, it, it, I went to a friend, as you do, you always go to a friend. And he you know, he started working on a prototype and then I met another guy who was a designer and he introduced me to one of my co-founders and the co-founder said the guy who was doing the prototype work was writing shitty code. 
And then the guy, the first guy, the, the designer guy I met, he started moving to New York. So he said, oh, I'm, I know this woman, Jen's her name, and Pete's the, my other co-founder. And he's like, Jen would like to work on it. And so I just, like, again, I lucked into it. But I was hustling to try to find people. And I think, I think in music, like, you can't, you can't be technical and know the music business. It's impossible. Because to know the music business, you can't be working on tech. Like, to, you know, you have to, you, you have to know, you know, one or the other. Right. And so two full-time jobs. Yeah, exactly. And this guy and Pete, who did backend, and Jen, who was a designer, like Pete, Pete was super into music. And so was Jen's really into music. So it was very, they're like, oh yeah, this sounds interesting. This sounds like a fun place to invest our time. So, and I lucked, like I lucked out, like the key thing is like Pete doesn't work in the, he died actually of cancer last year. We've been through it all in this company. So, but, but, but what was really interesting with Pete was he taught me everything. So I learned from a technical point of view, I can't code, but I can understand what I need to, like I can solve like, like from a roadmap point of view, it's pretty easy to see what should be done and what the technical challenges are and all that kind of stuff. Like, so I just, another thing I did the whole way along was I just listened. So I found people that were willing to help me understand how to do things. Like I didn't need to get involved, but, but to be able to, to decide how to make decisions about technical challenges, you can do without technical skills, but you need, so I just, I, in short, with my team, and the people, like I just lucked out, completely lucked out. Yeah, it seems like you You also, again, I, I hate to keep saying it over and over again, but it seems like as soon as you found one person who was a step closer to your goal, you're like, okay, cool, you're in. And then the next person showed up and be like, oh, that person didn't really know what they were doing. And you're like, okay, cool, well, I'll work with you then. And then it's just like, keep moving forward. It's like, if you would have waited for that, that amazing, perfect, ideal engineer, then you wouldn't have gotten the initial progress to get everybody else interested. Yeah. And I think like, like, this is what you realize over time, you, you realize like that thing, a lot of things just don't get built because it's too complicated. So you've just got to keep, you've got, you've got to keep, keep it rolling, iterate, iterate, iterate. And, 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 and it's like, you know, I've condensed the story. It was, it, <laughs> It's like there there is a lot of it's challenging to meet people, but it's like how do you meet anybody in your life? It just sort of happens. Like that's a question. That's a, there's another podcast I'm sure that deals with those kind of questions, those philosophical questions about how why people meet certain people and all that kind of stuff. And again, it's only in hindsight that you can see like oh my god, like not only did we get along, we had a complementary team and that people, they were willing to do it because they liked what they were doing and they liked working on it. And that's kind of stuff, you only know that in hindsight once once it's like a period of time has come, like a phase of a startup or a band or anything has come to its end. And you can see it's like, oh my God, like that was pretty amazing, really, that we got along enough to get it this far. Yeah, that's incredible. So you mentioned that you you had a couple of years where you're moving along and then you said that, you had the realization like, oh, whoops, we, we need some money. What, what was that process? Like, how did you kind of turn that corner? And like, I guess maybe how, how did you even come to the realization that, okay, funding is the direction that we need to go in? And then what was your process walking down 
that's a, that's a whole world in of itself too. Oh, I, so I like all the way along, I like what I love about the startup world is it's very open and you can read a lot like, and that how we listen, that education side to the, our nonprofit that we have and stuff all like, that's where it comes from is this idea that in music, you don't really, people don't share information of how to do things. And I think that's really missing. So that's one of the things I like about the tech world. So I always read about funding and stuff. And I, I find all that quite comedical really. But what what happened was we built MVP, launched MVP, getting customers, et cetera, et cetera. And then realized like this doesn't work as well as it needs to work. Ultimately, the product is just not where it, where it needs to be. It was one engineer like Pete and Jen, the back end guy writing the JavaScript. Jen is a designer coder. We're just like lucky that they can interact together perfectly. So you get the stack right. And then it was like we started to think, OK how the hell do you market something you can't just run facebook ads or you can't just go to companies and say hey use this especially in music no company it, nobody in the music business wants to be sold anything they want to come to it themselves they want to discover bands for themselves so in the middle of that we're like okay well we figured out the way we can market it a bit but then we're like oh god like now we need to just pour more money into the product our business is registered in canada and in Canada, they have a load of their quite generous granting system. And so this is where I'm going to link my previous time in Halifax back to what I'm doing now. So my first boss, the guy who gave me my first job in, in Halifax, or well, I know I volunteer. He, he, his name's Colin. And so I've been in touch with Colin after all these years we ran that festival together. And so I knew Colin was good on the grant thing. Because one of the first things I did with him was write a grant. And so I call him up. I'm like, Colin, look, I got this startup, which he knew about and stuff. It's like, we need some money. It's like, oh, yeah, there's this thing. These people, they give money to tech companies. But it's really hard to get, I think. And I'm like, okay, fine. So we tried a couple grants. We didn't get anywhere. And then we applied for this thing. It's called the Canada Media Fund. And we applied. And... They told us, oh, hey, look, you know, it's not good enough, but the idea is good. You just need to work on it. So I started working on this was three years ago. And as soon as we heard that there was the new application you could apply again, I started working on it. And a whole like eight months, I wrote this thing. It was like 35 pages. Like it was, or no, 70, no, it was 75 pages. And then designed, it was like 30. It was huge loads of fucking tons and tons of numbers and whole massive marketing plan and we got like you know essentially 1.9 million and like this is after and you wouldn't believe what the ter terms are it's non-dilutive it's unbelievable so but but it was after this idea of like oh i'll just call this guy up and 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 get a you, you know i think what it was i was at yoga or something and i'm like Oh my God, I've got to talk to Colin. And then, so, so that's, it just, it was like, okay, we're never going to survive if we can't improve this product faster because it's just the, the way our product works. Like it, we take advantage of all the things that make audio files unique, like streamability, embedded metadata, different file conversions, like we convert on the fly and stuff. And that basically in the long and short of it is it makes our application very complicated from a backend point of view. It's super simple on the front end. You know, you just upload something, click a button, it converts it to another file format. 
But from a back end point of view, we just set ourselves up for failure because it's so complicated. So we just thought if we're going to do this properly, we're going to have to raise some money. So then that was 18, two, two, yeah, nearly two years ago. Then we got the money about 18 months ago. Everybody quit their jobs. And then we went from, let's say, no one, just me full time to seven or eight full time and then another four or five part time. So it, it's, Again, it's just that, oh, okay, well, we need money, so I better get on that. <laughs> and then it worked out. Like, I never thought we'd get it. We had one guy on our team. He's like, I've got a, really, I've got a feeling we're going to get the money. And I'm like, this guy's crazy. We don't have a hope in hell. <laughs> <laughs> this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Exactly. Yeah. And, and it's like, but he's like, I can feel it. I can feel it. We're going to mm. get it. I'm like, there is no chance, my man. And then it happened. So, yep. you know. But that's a very, because raising money in music tech, very difficult, very difficult. Absolutely. And you, you sort of just mentioned in passing that you're like, oh, well, we need to figure out like the marketing plan. And then we figured out the marketing plan and then we do the marketing plan. But you know, what, what can you share on that? Like, how did you figure out what the right marketing strategy was going to be? Well, it, it, okay. Like since I've worked in music, it's like I said, people don't want to be sold anything, Right. And I, I, that's a spe- that's vi- that's way worse in the music business. And so, like a big challenge in what 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 we do is if you talk to someone, they say like, "Hey, oh, you know, how do you share music?" Oh, like I use Google Drive, right? Mm-hmm. How's that? Oh, yeah, it's fine. And I'm like, I know full well it's not fine because it's a nightmare. <laughs> because I've used right. So then I used I, I've got trigger questions that I ask them, and then within thirty seconds they're you know, seething at the mouth, they're so angry about how difficult it is to work with audio files in Google Drive or something. And so from that, th- th- is it came, we came up with this how we listen idea. And how we listen was originally, it was this interview series about how fine people find and listen and experience music. Because what happens is if you're a normal person, fan who just uses Apple Music or Spotify or Deezer or something, your experience, listening experience has been brilliant for quite a few years now. But if you work in music and have to listen to audio files and streams all the time, it's very difficult. So we realized, oh, like what's interesting is if we create a conversation around what this problem is, and then it reminds people how frustrating it is for them. So again, we knew that we didn't have a way to market it, but we fell into this education side of it, which is a lot of what our best marketing ideas come out of because the way we figure we can give away our knowledge for free like it comes from our diy background so the process of finding a way to market what people would initially perceived as a b2b application has helped markably in in helping give people because it's the same as a band ultimately you you know your band you, you make you make some music with the people in your band but then no one understands what your band is until you put some context on it. And that's what a lot of marketing is. It's like saying to people, hey, like this is what we are. And so the, the, the same rules that apply to artists and bands, we apply to our company. So we, we want people to know that what, what we think is important. So we've made decisions about what we think is important. So the How We Listen series expanded into panels and conferences where you're talking about subjects that don't really get discussed you're thinking about artists and their teams and what they need 
And then, you, you know, it's just sort of developed there. And then you go into the startup playbook, which is content, marketing, all those kind of things. So it was a combination of thinking about what's important in music. What are the questions that we think people do ask themselves, but maybe don't verbalize as much? And then combine that with the classic tech marketing stack, I would say. Nice. Yeah. And I used to, I remember I, I was in the spot where I was either emailing MP3s around or oh. <laughs> uh, I think we, we might have been in, I think we might have been at the tail end of Google Drive, but I think that, I think, I think we might even miss that. Could you give some, yeah, if you were talking to somebody like me that's emailing MP3s around, like what sort of, just to give people an idea of like how you ask these questions of like, what, what question would you ask of me to, you know, I might be like, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty good. It's fine. Let me give an example. Like yeah. we, I, I do a lot of talks at schools, right? And I love, I like the MP3 attachment. I just think is crazy. And it's like, you, you know, you're, you're talking in the past tense. So I'm, I'm, I'm at this music business school, uh, zooming with them or whatever. And it comes up like, and she's like, I'm, I'm like, you know, who who do people actually send mp3s attachments still and the, this woman raises her hand and then and then the teacher's like yeah it's a nightmare to listen to them and i think that's the that's the biggest thing i bring up with people that yes attaching an mp3 or even a wav file or whatever to an email is fine as a sender but the but the big thing is what you're doing is is you want people to listen to your music and this is, again, what we talk a lot about with how we listen is this idea that when you, you, you and I, let's say we're in a band together, we're making, uh, making some music, we're swapping some files, we can sort of do that any way we want. Y you know, I, I would say that it's pretty inefficient, especially if you want to walk out the door and listen to it on a mobile phone, it's nearly impossible. But as soon as you start sending those files out and streams out to other people, you, you need them to listen to it because you need their support. No one knows who you are yet. You're looking for a manager, a booking agent. You're trying to get on the radio. You're trying to get gigs. And back to your MP3 attachment question. The issue becomes, if you send an MP3 attachment, does that make it for easy for the other person to listen? Or the Google Drive thing, like if you send me a, a series of WAV files in Google Drive, it's nigh on impossible to listen to them these days because they don't work so well in iTunes. and then. You know, you can sort of listen to it on your desktop, but you can't listen to them as an album. And that means that it makes it difficult, more difficult for the recipient to listen. And if the recipient can't listen, you know what it's like? You meet someone, you go, oh, yeah, like, I'll send you my record. Maybe you can help me get a gig or something. If they can't listen to it, it doesn't matter how much they like you as a person. Because it's the music that is the currency. That's what everybody wants. And so that's what I talk about with people mostly. It's like... If you think that, that sending an MP3 attachment is, is an effective, that's good for the recipient, go right ahead. But generally, recipients don't want things on email because it's impossible. Think they download it on their downloads folder and then the, then the phone rings and then they import it in iTunes and there's no metadata in it. You're just making it difficult for them to like your music is essentially what's happening. That's great. Yeah, I think that's a lesson for everybody as you're talking to prospects and, and you know people they asked you for a demo just to help them contextualize the if there's other parties involved i think that's very apparent like you're saying it's like well sure it's easy for you to attach an mp3 but you know then it goes to the other person they're gonna have to download it and they might feel weird about 
downloading and running random files off of email and it gets lost and, you know, and, and pulling it back to what their goal is. So like, what's your, what's your objective? It's like, well, you know, I really want my, really want my music to get played on the radio station. It's like, well, do you think that that's, you know, making it hard for somebody to listen to it and remember who you are and find it? Do you think that's the best way to, is that the easiest way for you to achieve your goal? I'm like, oh, well, I guess I never thought about it before. <laughs> exactly. And that, 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 that is the challenge. It's a mindset change. One of the things I talk about when I do talks is like, and, and th- this, how we listen series is amazing when people, we run it every week and like people just talk about how, y- y- you know, the first steps getting your music on Spotify, but, but people, uh, when I, I did a interview in Forbes and at that time there was a quote in there the writer she just had a just went through Techstars music and she she quoted this was just about a year ago she quoted 40,000 tracks are up, uploaded to Spotify every day right that number's up to 60,000 so but but what a lot of artists think is they think oh i just put my music on Spotify and then it's game on right and you know but, but so but the mindset is still i want to send my music to people but that's not the problem. The problem is I want, I need support from people, like I was saying, and you are completely right that y- y- what we do is we spend time saying to people, hey, look, you really need to be thinking a lot of the people you're sending music to get music all the time. And if there's any sort of technical hitch or any sort of challenge or it's difficult to listen, like th- the other punchline is we've learned from these how we listen interviews, some people still want MP3s but other people want streams. So like, it's like everybody has a different way of doing things. And if you're not thinking about who your recipient is, it's game over. Like you're not going to get the results that you need. You know, maybe if you're Conway West, like I hear they're announcing a Kanye West record this week, or he's going to drop one this week. It's like, maybe people, people are going to do what they need to do to listen to that. But if you're a new band, like the band you were in, you're trying to get going. You know, and, and that's most bands. That's bands up to have released records, four or five records before. You need to be thinking, how is this going to be received by other people? And I think that's a mindset change. And, and that's a very, that's a challenge to overcome for sure. For sure. Yeah, it might be a little bit counterintuitive, but it's almost like the starting point is nothing to do with your product or even how they're currently doing things. Step one is going to them and saying like, hey, are you crystal clear about what your objectives are? <laughs> it's like, you know, you think that your objective is to send a send a sound file, you know, send an audio file, but your objective is actually to, you know, pitch a record label or get played on a radio station, whatever, you know, and, and, you know, your actual real goal is like, well, I want to become a more popular band or I want to, you know, so it, it is actually interesting. We have this, it's a very common conversation with, with Barometrics of like, well, what are you what are you trying to do? Who are you trying to be as a company? Because we can look at these numbers in any, you know, any different way. You know, we can we can slice and dice it, but where we actually really have great productive conversations is when we talk to somebody and they say, like, I'm afraid that our churn's going up, but I don't I don't know what's happening. And you know, who's who's going? And you know, once we actually get to that actual core, you know, what is your goal? Where are you trying to get? Then we can swoop in with all the, you know product stuff. It's like, you know, we can sleep in with the, with the solution. You can't, you know, if, and I imagine you probably talk to some people where you say, well, what's your real goal? And they say, my goal is really to send a sound file. And you know, what's your real goal? And they say, my goal is to send a sound file. And then you're like, okay, cool. I can't, I don't think I, I'm quite ready. You know, you're not ready for my help quite yet. 
Yeah. Well, I like, it's another thing. It's another thing I discuss, like, in when I do talks and this idea, and I've written a blog post about it and stuff like the, the idea of here and there, right? You're here. Where's there? You know, and, and it, like in artist development, like, like there is different for everyone. So like in, in the context of say bare metrics, like everybody's dashboard looks different depending on your business. And you, you know, if you're a quote unquote, like I find lifestyle, that expression quite condescending for the exact reason that you said you people can have loads of money if it's about money, if it's about money. And I think like, so, so what, what is the goal of the business, you know, in, in a bare metrics context and then in a beta context for artists, it's like, what, what do you want to do as an artist? Why are you, wh wh where are you trying to go and how are you going to get there? And it's like, you know, who are the people that are going to help you get there? But that's very, you are right that it, it is very difficult to focus people in on that because I think it's common in startups that you, that you, that you, your competition is inactivity. It's just doing the same thing over and over again. That's what you're, that's the biggest competition any startup has is just people not wanting to change, even though it would be good for them. We'll use bare metrics again. Like, if you track everything in a Google Doc or a Google Sheet and you don't really notice that your churn is changing because you're, I don't know, you're, some of your formulas are wrong or whatever, blah, 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 blah. Like that's bad for your business, but it doesn't mean they're going to move to a new product. And I think it's the same in music. It's like people are like, oh, like a Dropbox, like that'll do the trick. And the doing the trick is like, if, if there are 60,000 tracks being uploaded to Spotify every day, doing the trick isn't good enough. It's like, if you want to try to make any sort of inroads, no matter how much success you're actually out after, like, it's a challenge. And you need to think about, it, it's having, I, I think this is the most important thing in music, having self-awareness about what you want. And that's not, there's nothing uncool about that. Like, it's like, you just want to make sure you know what kind of music you're making. Like, who would be interested in that? I don't think it's cynical to think like that. It's more to just think, like, I hope I can reach the people. When I go to a gig, who do I want to meet? Do you know what I mean? What are people going to be like? There's nothing wrong with that, I don't think. Yeah, that feels so so generalizable of like, yeah, just having clarity of what it is that you want gets you like, it feels like it gets you like 80% of the way there. And, and it's a hard, it's a hard question to answer. And you really have to figure that out. But once you know what it is that you want, it makes it easy. And sounds like you've had great success with that of you knew what you wanted. And then, well, lo and behold, people are around you that can help you get there. And you, you somehow, somehow find your way forward. So yeah, that's a, that's a really great message. I think, but I think it's also an evolution, isn't it? Like, I think like for artists, I, I don't think you just show up one day and know who you are as an artist. I, I think it evolves, but you need to have a, some sort of idea where you're going and um, because there's a lot of people that show up who don't know what they're talking about and you get pulled in different directions and all that kind of stuff so you know a lot of people when i do talks and stuff they're like oh i need x i need this person i need that person and i remember years ago this woman said to me she's like i need a manager i'm like why do you need a manager she's like well i need someone to help and i'm like you need to learn to do it yourself because right. how do you know if you've got a good manager or not if you don't know what they're doing? And I think that's the other thing, like this DIY mentality or this DIY attitude. It's like, 
you, you know, you learn how to do things. So then it helps you figure out what you should do, if that makes sense. And then you get to a point where you're like, okay, I don't know. I can't do what I'm doing. Then you, then you find help. But that's, I think, another key with all this startup or music stuff is that it's not let stuff doesn't show up prepackaged. Yeah. You have to figure out what's going on. Like it's back to that choose your own adventure angle again, I think. Absolutely. Well, Mark, this has been awesome. I really, I really appreciate it. I feel like you, you're, you're so free with your, you know, experience and it, it feels like you, not that you don't give yourself very much credit, but you're kind of like, yeah, you know, I showed up and I, I got lucky, but it, it sounds like you've, you've put in a ton of work and you've had like, yeah, maybe, maybe the perfect experience to cultivate the right mindset. So I, I really appreciate you taking the time and, and being so open and, and sharing all this stuff. Is there, are there any, so people want to learn more about you or your company, or sounds like you have a a great podcast maybe people could listen to where should they where should they reach out to to learn more so the, co the company is called beta which is uh b-y-t-a it's the swedish word for exchange so b-y-t-a.com then if you want to um find out about how we listen you can go to beta.com slash how we listen or just search hashtag how we listen all one word you can sign up for beta it's we got a free plan if you need to share audio files quickly We've got paid plans if you need uh, st upload storage space, more security. And I'm Viznomics, V-I-Z-N-O-M-I-C-S. Is that right? I've never had to express it. <laughs> Viznomics.com or uh, LinkedIn. Just search Mark Brown with a C. Hit me up. I like. It's always fun to talk. I've got to say I was really impressed by your comment about early on or your question early on about around I can't remember what it was, but the, the the question about music and startups, because I never I never get asked that question about like the, some of the similarities. I think because I think there's tons of them. So I, that was impressive. Awesome. Yeah, thank so you. So good um, interviewer, um, good interviewer. Thank you so much. Yeah, <laughs> I, I had the unfair advantage of being in both worlds. So I'm not a, not as much of a philosopher king as you might think. It's just like, I've just been through both of them. Yeah, but everybody's um, been in a band, though. Do you know what I mean? So it's, I guess it's that's it, true. You, you know, so you, you're not, you, you deserve some credit for, for asking good questions, for sure. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Mark. Uh, really appreciate it. Everybody, we'll, we'll get all those links linked up. And yeah, Mark, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Brilliant. Thanks a lot, Brian. All right, that was our conversation with Mark Brown, founder of Beta. If you're looking to share some audio files in a little bit of a better way than Google Drive, like I do, you know where to go. It's beta.com, B-Y-T-A.com. If it's a SaaS analytics tool that you're looking for, well, then you can check us out at baremetrics.com. I hope you enjoyed this episode and invite you to check out our other founder chats. If you're able to share with a friend or leave a review, it goes a long way. Thanks for listening.